Maybe don't know. Maybe don't know. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 127 of the Power Company podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I am back in Lander, back on my grind, getting these episodes out, and I'm getting back into a good routine, which I need. Training has commenced, as well as some business spring cleaning and organizing. Speaking of which, just a reminder that we've got a few events coming up. Nate and I will be coaching a workshop at the CWA Summit. I'll be speaking there as well. You can find out more at climbingwallsummit.org or right there in the show notes on your pocket supercomputer. I'll also be coaching at the Performance Climbing Coach Seminars. Next one is in Fort Collins in May and then again in October at Climb Murfreesboro in Tennessee. I'm going to find out how to say that once I get there. And you can learn more about that at performanceclimbingcoach.com or also, again, right there in your show notes. You know, something else I've been thinking a lot about lately is how to balance, if that's even possible. I'm not sure how I feel about that word. The desire to put your head down and achieve with the need to keep your head up and be aware. Um, those two things sound like they're at odds with each other, but I'm not so sure. And today's guest, Sam Elias, who really needs no introduction, has also been working on walking that line himself. And his thoughtful approach and his blue-collar ethic are qualities that I really admire and ones that I'd, I'd like to believe that we share. Um, I do, however, think that he's quite a bit further down the road of grappling with how those two things coexist. And that's the reason that this conversation was an important one for me and one that I was really looking forward to and sort of waited until I could cultivate the right space for it instead of rushing it and just doing it at a random time when I saw him somewhere. So without further ado, Let's get into it. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. I feel like I've been cultivating a wholeness that's less and less connected to my accomplishments and more just this beautiful life that I live where I get to just go to these places, period. Like, that's it. Yeah, I think we first kind of interacted at Tim Kimple's studio. Really? Was that the first time? I think that was the first time we ever really interacted. We knew of each other because of the red. Right. But I think that's the first time we really talked. Okay. So, And that seems like it was a while ago. I don't know. Definitely been a while. So you're back in Rifle, or you were in Rifle, until just now when you came to Lander, right? Yeah, I spent the majority, I would say, of May and June there going 
in and out um and concluded that time there uh about two weeks ago yeah um went home for a week and then came here for a climb a few days of climbing before the fest yeah and you spent a lot of seasons there right um i have at this point there there was a pretty big gap of time in the middle um so i spent 2006 to uh, i guess like 2011 there mm-hmm. um and then probably three four five years of not going and then the last right. three years or so uh i've been back um yeah either both season spring and fall or at least one season of of the last three years yeah one of the things i'm super interested in is that as a pro climber as somebody who has the ability means to travel around and climb more why stick to one area so much like what is it that keeps you coming back there i really like that question um and actually in that intermittent period where I wasn't going to rival, I was going to Europe a lot, a mm-hmm. lot, a lot. And, um, you know, I just, I think it's just a grand experimentation of the things, you know, doing something that I think calls to me, figuring it out that it doesn't, um, always kind of trying to check in with my foundations and my roots and the reason I started climbing in the first place and the places that mean something to me yeah um rifle it it's kind of undergone its own evolution there was a time when i had basically done everything there or everything i cared to do there um and my life took on a pretty big change at that point and I had to go through my own process. And in the time I was going through that, which was, you know, those years that I wasn't going to rifle, rifle was changing, all the young right. young guns. Yep. And and, I, and older dudes too. People were putting up, have been putting up roots there, um, new roots. And so when I did finally return, I returned to all these new roots. Um, the, the really beautiful thing about rifle is that you can find whatever you're searching for there. Mm-hmm. You can find short, powerful roots where the grade comes in just a few movements. You can find really long endurance roots. Uh, you can find super teched out knee bar roots. You can find roots that don't have knee bars on them. So you can kind of um, pick your poison. Yeah. And it's always been a hard style for me. And I just gravitate toward that for some reason i like to push against the things that seem like weaknesses or seem difficult for me so um the last few years i've gotten to return to this place which which was basically the second climbing area that i ever climbed at after the red i spent a season in the red and then i went to rifle and man i hated it I hated it because I was comparing it to the red the whole time. Yeah, totally. The community. That's a mistake. Big mistake. Yeah. But I didn't know any better, right? Because it was just my first year climbing. Sure. I I was just comparing the community, the vibe, the style, the everything. And it, but like I just said, like gravitating to things that 
seem difficult to me or give me trouble or make me feel something, uh, feel some kind of hardship, I kind of stuck with it. And it's, uh, it's paid itself back to me. Mm-hmm. And I'll always climb there. And now, I mean, I put, a, I put some hard roots up there myself. Yeah. I have, I have permits to bolt there. Um, and I just love the canyon. The canyon has no service, no cell service. I love yeah. the camping up at the top of the canyon. Everything, when I enter that place. You don't need cell place, service, though, because everybody's there. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> when I enter that place, I just drop into this different mode of life, um, which I really which I really feel connected to my origins as a climber. And I just feel like it's just a rarer and rarer existence these days. Yeah. And certainly I need for happiness, for my like well-being. Yeah. For you, does it feel like, you know, in the red back in those days, it was like during the week, the red was mostly a ghost town other than the crew that worked there, mm-hmm. you know? Does it feel like that for you where it's this crew all week long and then crazy on the weekend crew all week long? It's definitely like that. It's got that ebb and flow to it. But uh, even now the the midweek crew at Rifle is is so much bigger than what the yeah. red crew was totally. then. And that's just the that's just the direction we're going. That's the progression. Um that's you know more people in the sport and that's mm-hmm. fine, but Certainly, you know, there's the there's this, the people who are kind of doing the full season in the canyon. Right. And then there's the weekends, which are are quite crazy these days. Yeah, I bet. Weeks, weekdays are tough in the good season. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely not the place to go if you're trying to avoid people. But it does have no. its own charming little vibe. And I do love that there's no cell service in the canyon. I think you're you're kind of sequestered in there with, the crew, you know, yep, which is kind of cool. I love it. I do. Mm-hmm. And I think the ebb and flow you talk about is, you know, of the, and more people coming into the, into the sport and it's just where we're headed. I think that's also part of that new life that rifle got, you know, sure, where all the young blood was coming in and these, you know, crushers, who are now developing the canyon and, you know, who will be the next generation of the old dudes who climb and rifle. Totally. The old women who climb and rifle, you know. I mean, in a way, that's just the beautiful process, you know. And yeah. uh, that's that's how our sport progresses. That's how we have so many 515 American climbers now. That's a lot of those dudes are these dudes in rifle, you know, John Cardwell, Maddie mm-hmm. Hong. and uh, Jonathan Segrist and like the, it's it's a uh, it's directly related to that and yeah. I, I that that's cool to me I think yeah totally I think so too you know that was one of my favorite aspects of climbing period when I was coming up was you know these legendary names that I read about and you turn to legends in my own mind um, that you get to experience those people meet those people and it's I was in Rifle last year with BJ. Maybe that was earlier. No, that was last year. You were there. And it was a who's who of American sport climbing, you know, in the Wicked Cave. And I just think that's really cool to be able to go to an area like that and see all of those characters who are making a big difference in the sport and both in terms of pushing limits, asking tough questions, 
um, I just think that's really fun for a new climber. You know, your first season, you climbed in the red one season, went to rifle. There are other people doing the same thing mm -hmm. now. And yeah. their second year of climbing or their second season of climbing, they go walk into the Wicked Cave and there's Dave Graham and Daniel Woods and John Cardwell and Sam Elias, you know, so... I, I think, think it's a cool. testament to rifle, you know. And I mean, what? When did you? When were you guys there? It was when BJ did Zulu that trip. Was it something like summerish time, or was it more fall? It was early summer, late okay. spring. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. Like the beautiful thing about rifle is like you can climb there, climb hard there in the right. summer. Yeah. And it's high elevation, lots of shade, and that that's kind of a big reason why I keep going back there. I mean, it's just conditions are good, super dry climate, uh, stable, not a lot of precipitation. It's, it's, um, and a lot of hard roots. It's like the perfect storm of, uh, of a place where you can just kind of keep going back to, if not to do the new roots, just, I mean, to repeat roots, keep fitness up to gain fitness, like whatever you need, you can kind of find it there. Yeah. But the climate there is just so great and stable for climbing. Yeah, totally. And you can kind of choose your side of the canyon based on time of day. So mm -hmm. kind of cool. Um, you said when you came, you took your hiatus, you came back, there were a lot of new hard roots going in and you're putting up some hard roots. How do you stay stoked on hard project level roots in this little canyon where you've seemingly, maybe I'm totally off here, but seemingly have done most of the things that you can do relatively quickly. How do you stay stoked for those long projects? Well, I try to keep a, a, a pretty healthy balance about it. Um, I try not to bunker in there for too long uh, or schedule sort of too much time of the year there. Um, certainly if I'm not stoked, I won't go there or try a route that's been in my right, mind. Right. Um, it's really about a healthy, healthy dose. And, and going back to like what I was saying earlier about just the big experiment, the grand experimentation, like I think through the years I've kind of been able to learn myself a little bit better, learn what I'm feeling learn you know when i'm trained properly mm -hmm. uh and um if this if the last if this season was any example of that then yeah i, I think i kind of have have figured out m myself a bit to know um that that big gap of time i had away from the canyon um and then returning it just re rejuvenated me and i, I got this really big stoke uh to be there and as i've been there the last couple months um you know i'm just happy to be there I, i'm not i try to make it about the lifestyle and the 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 daily routine the 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 small things of the canyon and this like the right my my daily rituals of that I get to do there that I don't do other places, the mm -hmm. reading I do, uh, journaling, you know, like meditating. Um, a Is lot all of, that part of this figuring out yourself that you yeah, just yeah, mentioned? Yeah, for sure. 
And so for me, you know, the last couple of months there, I've been, I've like, I enjoy my warm ups more than I enjoy anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm just present and I just love being in the canyon and I feel myself and I feel the wind and I can hear the creek. And um, it's just like, I'm not trying so hard that I'm kind of in this black space and I'm just happy to be there. And yeah. I just have tried to refine my life to like, if I can't answer that question sort of right then and there, am I happy to be doing this right now? And the answer is no, then I I need to go do Peace whatever out. yeah whatever it is that I feel like um, is going to answer that question the right way and um, I think that's important to figure out what that is like what your place you can go back to to rejuvenate like from the outside looking in going to rifle having to bang your head against hard projects when you've done everything else in the canyon seems like it could get really Hard. really frustrating yeah you know it's not that way for me and if it was i wouldn't go there right i, I wouldn't at all i mean i'm I, I this year i was just happy to be there to be camping in the canyon to be able to have contact with people that have been real instrumental in my climbing lifestyle um and uh it's kind of like my little family mm-hmm. and um, and that doesn't mean that you just, you go there and just hang out. You, you put down some hard roots this year. Yeah. You know, things that you'd been working on for quite a while, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, one in particular, um, I have this grand history with, and when you sort of write, if I were to write that history out on paper, tell it, it, it should seem like that root is this like epic epic battle and yeah. became mental or however you want to put it and it was like like you said like banging my head and and what route is that shadow boxing shadow boxing um, 14 d d i guess yeah. now uh after some holds breaking and just kind of settling in at that and um <clears throat> but i just i don't know i guess i was just prepared you know mentally yeah. and emotionally to just go and when I when you keep it about just being happy to be in a place and and climbing at all, then um, sure, if you experience difficulty or struggle, like as long as you can rebound it off that, hey, I'm just happy to be here. I mean, I hurt my shoulder in, in February, like badly, right? And I might have had, or maybe I still should have surgery. I had a surgeon tell me I needed surgery, so. To be able to have that direct contrast from just a few months before of like, man, my whole climbing life is like up in the air right now. I'm right. in pain every day. I mm-hmm. can't sleep because my shoulder's aching. Um, to have that direct correspondence, I was just happy to be climbing, like happy to be climbing on my warm-ups. So I had I was used that to my advantage to like just be happy to just be climbing. And it was great that I was climbing well and climbing on 514 plus and did a 14c and a 14d but i mean i still would have been happy if i didn't do those roots you yep. know i i felt i feel like i've been cultivating a wholeness that's less and less connected to my accomplishments um and more just to 
this beautiful life that I live where I get to just go to these places, period. Like, yeah. That's it. That's a really cool way to look at it. Is it, you posted something on Instagram that I think is connected to this and the way that you approach um, your whole lifestyle. And, and that was a, a checklist. And I don't remember if it was for shadow boxing or for another route. Was it shadow boxing? That one, yeah, on my camper, in my, yeah. in my camper right now, I have two checklists. Uh, one, the most recent one I posted was shadow boxing. And then I have one from Fat Camp from uh, last uh, summer, last June. Right. And I think, you know, when I first saw that checklist, I was like, wow, this is something really cool that a lot of up and coming climbers banging their head against the wall on hard routes and getting really frustrated and down on themselves could really look at and understand and learn how to not only just set little mini goals, but to, to be present in where you're at at the moment, instead of thinking about the big accomplishment later, you know, I think that's a really important part of climbing well Mm -hmm. and, and climbing hard. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that checklist. Um, yeah, I mean, so it's basically like, it's a list of checkpoints that you wanted to accomplish concerning the route, Mm -hmm. like climb it from the ground to here, Yeah, you know, and then check your box and then then I want to do it from here to here, or then I want to do this overlap or whatever there's so there's a there's some real sort of basic elements to that mm-hmm. and then there's like so a lot of depth to that you can yeah. kind of like take it psychologically um yeah deep and on the surface you know that just provides me well let me just back up you know writing anything down is very different than just thinking it in your brain absolutely it activates different parts of your brain it embeds things in different parts of your brain and it just helps you it just helps to um put it into other spaces yeah Yeah. rather than just thinking i want to do this yeah just like writing a cheat sheet for a test you end up not needing the cheat sheet because yeah writing the notes so um i've been last few years i've been working a little bit and and she's now she's just a good friend of mine with a sports psychologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I read a lot. Her I, name is Chris. Dr. Christina Heilman. Christina Heilman, yeah. right. And, but since I was a kid ski racer, like 16, my first mentor, my first like real coach, he was very much into the mental and emotional side of being an athlete, of sure. training. Yep. So since then, I've always been thinking about this component of existence as an athlete but as a person Mm -hmm. um chris heilman she talks she talked to me about your life being situated on a table and the four legs are your physical existence your mental existence your emotional existence and your your spiritual existence and you need to be cultivating all four of those legs so that the table is stable and can hold your life on it yeah and I, I just think that's like a real simple, beautiful thought mm-hmm. and made a lot of sense to me. So I sp- spend a lot of time trying to train my body and um, 
in addition to that, you know, I'm reading these books, I'm trying to trying to meditate, trying to do these other things with my mind, these exercises with journaling, subconscious work, um, and goal, goal setting. That's basically connected to all that. So the, the yeah. list is just smaller goals um, that are basically trying to lead me up to a bigger goal. Mm-hmm. And I did that last summer with Fat Camp and you know what? I just love checking those fucking boxes. People man. love checking boxes. And love to. I when I got get to like a pretty decent point with a project, I can say, you know, these are the links I want to do. I want to do from the ground to here. I want to do from here to the top. I want to do this middle section link. I want to um, you know, the one hang and then, you know, like then you write at the bottom of the list the red point. And yeah. you know, if you can go out every day, uh, it's like, how do you eat an elephant? You know, it's one bite at a time. So if right. you can focus on the bite you're going to take in that yeah. day, yep. and some days you'll get it and some days you won't get it, but um, the days that you get it, man, you get this boost of confidence. You just, you feel like you're on the right path. You're moving in the right direction. You get to check that box. And the box is on my fridge. Like I literally look at it a hundred times of the day. Yep. And I see the goals I want to do. And even if I'm not seeing them consciously, like my subconscious is registering that I wrote that down there. Right. And that's, those are small goals on the way to my big goal. And man, when you, when, yeah, there's like, when you get to check that, that red point box and write the date and leave it on the fridge. Now yeah. I have two of them, you know, and it's just a cool, fun process. And it doesn't have to be. I mean, you can do that in anything. You can write yeah. it down. But I, I believe that these sorts of things, it's about saturation. So I just, I'm trying to saturate myself with the, the processes and the mindsets and the attitudes and the people and the places that mean things to me. Yeah. So <clears throat> um, you walk into my camper and it's like a goddamn, you think I'm, I'm like... Uh, you're like, what's going on here? There's all this weird, random <laughs> stuff everywhere, like rocks and and pictures and and quotes and, um. But like, I need that. It makes yeah. me feel good. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think it's I think it's a really important thing that a lot of people understand on some level. I guess see a lot of climbers make lists of things for what they need to do at work, and they'll you know, collect little things from around their life that mean something to them. And then when it comes to climbing, it's just kind of a crapshoot. Like, let's just go out and do whatever we do. And I'll start red point attempts, even though I haven't done all the moves. And, you know, they're just not thinking in the same manner that they do with the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And I think with sport climbing, it's even more important because it's kind of an arbitrary thing most of the time. I mean, more often than not, there's just a finish in an arbitrary place and it's an arbitrary line of bolts. And it's really easy to get trapped into thinking the only accomplishment is clipping the chains, you know? And I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's just like everything in life where you, to, to accomplish something really important to you, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of little steps and a lot of small successes and wins along the way. Process and patience. Exactly, exactly. And I thought your list was a really great way to put that, make it something tangible, you know? And just like you said, when it's in your head, it's 
it's on one level, but when you write it down, it becomes a real thing mm -hmm. and it, it, it sticks in your brain. And I just thought that was really cool. I, in fact, I'd love it's been to get helpful. a photo of it to be able to put along with this podcast sure. just for people yeah. to look at. Um, on my, on my fr fridge right now, you know, like it, it sits next to, uh, it's on a dry erase board, which I use mm -hmm. quite often. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that I can write myself notes and erase them or just put quotes up there. There's uh, other quotes on the board. Um, little, uh, There's a magazine clipping um, and there's a photo of a, of a friend who's who just passed away. And, you know, like, it's just really interesting when you mix all that together, you know. And, um, yeah, I mean, climbing's important. You know, and it's very much present there on that board. But the the sort of overall uh, feeling of the board, it's different than than just like my goals or my climbing. And uh, I like that. And I also would encourage people to like right alongside your important climbing stuff. Like you need to have other important life stuff. Yeah. Uh, just to, so you have contrast and perspective about it because yep in you a know, vacuum like climbing doesn't fucking matter one single bit the red point doesn't matter checking the boxes don't matter that i can look right next to it and see my friend who's my age and just died of cancer and it's like it provides something balancing there yeah so yeah you know i think i think that's an important part of all of this and we sell a, a journal called the process journal that asks you specific questions about your intentions and how your day went and what are things that went well. And I showed it to um, my friend and client Inga Perkins, who you know as mm -hmm. well. And, and I showed it to her and she said, well, I would like to see one more question. And I'm like, okay, what, you know? And she's like, what's something you want to remember about today that doesn't have to do with climbing? You know? Cool. And I was like, oh shit, yeah, that's perfect, mm -hmm. you know? So I included that question and I gave her the first copy of it when it came out, you know? And, and, I, and you know, there are special people like that, like Inga, like you, who, who can bring that into perspective because we all get wrapped up in this climbing thing that we do because it's our community, it's our you know, most of our friends are climbers. Everything we do is sort of revolves around climbing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to have that perspective. Same. What are some of the tools that you use to keep that perspective other than the whiteboard you just mentioned? Like what type of journaling do you do? What does that look like as much as you're willing to share of it? I guess let me first say that I feel really lucky about the timing, both the time and the way by which I got into climbing. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like those two things have a really uh, big importance to why I am this way now. Um, the timing, it feels sort of like a pivotal time climbing what what climbing felt like when i first started was um more small more fringe uh i i 
I think you could you and I still think that's a little bit true. You can still kind of have contact with like the people who started the sport. Right. And and that's rare. Like I mean, very. Um it's cool that you can that you can reach out to them, have conversations in in person. Yeah. Uh That's changing really quickly. I mean, 10, 20 years, that's not going to be the case anymore. Right. Um so there's that element that I got to kind of rub elbows with people who founded companies that are really important in this community people who uh found climbing areas who who established grades uh, right that's that's really uh was um it had a big effect on me so there was that element to it then there was my personal entrance which is later in life um i didn't do this from childhood it was something that called to me at a point where i really needed something yeah and uh and i worked a lot of jobs before i became a sponsored climber so i worked and i i earned my climbing and so i know what that's like mhm i know what life like it was like before climbing so i i i don't i don't it's really hard for me to take climbing for granted um So there's those two elements and basically those things are about um for me it's about a good life living a life um of meaning and uh of sort of happiness it's about a lifestyle it's not about a sport um and my climbing is one sort of facet through which i try to improve my life and just feel good and feel better um so i'm trying to become a better climber but i'm i'm also sort of always trying to um find a little more satisfaction and wholeness and yeah i guess like a lot of like psychological uh inquiries books mm-hmm. readings um a lot of try to saturate myself with creativity, inspiration, like art, um just different philosophies for life and for um yeah, passing passing time in a meaningful way. And um for for me I just I have all these like little practices that again going back to the experimenting like uh I just kind of do what feels right on any given morning. Um and when I'm kind of in my climbing life, I have more time. I so maybe I do several of them. Maybe I'll I'll paint a little bit, I'll mm-hmm. write in my journal, um I'll meditate or I just do one of them, you know. I just normally my routine in rifles like I wake up, I make coffee, and then I kind of just like do whatever feels right. Sometimes right. it's reading, reading and meditating sometimes i'll just bring out the watercolors and i'll just paint but my journaling is um it's kind of all over the place uh it can be reflection on something specific that i'm kind of grappling with or that i wake up and it's just kind of in my mind you know like your subconscious is doing weird things all the time and especially when you sleep so if you can wake up and you kind of kind of just get into a flow of writing you I just try to see what comes out. Mhm. 
But generally, I try to make it positive, really positive, uh, really affirming. Um, and sometimes I, I'll write just like a sentence 10 times that's just like an affirmation. I am this or uh, I believe this or, you know, just really ingraining something and really being present with writing something so that. Yeah. And yeah, if you flip through my journal, you'll see big entries or you'll see just like a single sentence written 10 times or 15 times. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, it's, I just kind of allow whatever's, and I normally do it in the morning. So it, I allow whatever's there to just kind of come out. And mostly I'm hoping that I can sort of connect with my subconscious somehow so that uh, I can allow it to kind of bring something to the surface or I can ingrain something in it that will stay with me. Right, right. And do you keep like those reminders of things like rocks and photos and things like that around for similar reasons just to let them kind of seep into your Mm -hmm. subconscious and because they're things that feel right? That's been kind of interesting over the years. You know, you, you find something or you print something, mm-hmm. or you put a picture on the wall. And, and while it's there for the first bit of time, you like have a honeymoon period with it. Like you see <laughs> totally. it all the time and you yeah. love it. Yeah, yeah. And then then there's like <clears throat> this middle period where you you like half noticing it. And then, the, then there's a, basically a period where you don't notice it anymore. And, you know, I'm just kind of like curious about the play that's happening there between the sub conscious mind and the conscious mind you know of course in that latter period where you're like not consciously noticing your picture anymore your quote or uh, whatever it is your your, the affirmation that you wrote Mm -hmm. um there's like a switch over your subconscious must see it. it sees everything right um so recently i've been playing with changing things up moving them around around in the physical space yeah so that um, I can consciously start to notice it. Again. Right, right, right. I don't want to. I don't want to say that it's like I'm take it. You, we start taking these things for granted. I don't really like that. Mm-hmm. But maybe we do. You know, like you get a beautiful picture and you hang it up, and then two years later, like you just don't see it anymore. Yeah. But maybe if you moved it somewhere else, like all of a sudden it would bring new life to the space and to the picture. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious about, I really like that honeymoon f- f- period mm-hmm. where like I made something new or I saw something that made me think a different way. And I, each time I saw it in the subsequent days or weeks, I it, you get like a, a tangible release of like chemicals and you feel it. Right. But then, you know, a year later, like that fortune cookie thing that you hung up <laughs> right you just don't see it anymore yep and i'm just kind of curious because i really love that that rush that you get when you encounter a piece of content or a person even or a whatever that just gives you that release i mean about trying to continue that mm-hmm. so yeah is it do you think you value one or the other more or is it just two different things to have those things that have given you that release given you that excitement and keep those around 
to continue having that a similar experience or is it more important for you to find new things and make room for those new things? That's a great question. I think that the content dictates that. The picture of my friend Landon, he's dead. That's never going to change. Right. You know, the, the bookmark of Hayden and Inga, yeah. like there that I can never change up that content, right? Yep. But quotes, uh, inspiration board of pictures places different things you can change those up to give you that like tangible honeymoon release right these other things they, they demand your consciousness mm-hmm. and i really like that i don't i don't think that i um it's like anything it's like a relationship with a person you know like there's a a honeymoon period where it's just all fucking poofy hearts yeah, and yeah. perfect. Yep. And then there's like the three, five year, 10, 20 year mark where like, it's not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And you had to work to get to that point And you had to put in the conscious work and the discipline and the hard times. I think um, it's important to have both of those experiences yeah. and everybody's personal balance is probably different about it. Um, and there's definitely a natural filtering process, you know, not everything that you had a honeymoon phase with will be worth keeping around sure. in the future, you know? So I think being aware of allowing that natural filtering to happen is important too. Totally. Totally. I mean, it's just, it's again, to go back to the experiment, like, you experiment with something, you put it up there, maybe it speaks to you for a little bit, and then like maybe you grew out yeah. of that. Maybe yep. you learned that lesson and mm-hmm. don't need that anymore. Right. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. When you're, you know, everyone who's followed you over the years knows that you're a, as well as this introspective, thoughtful, conversation that we're having now you're also this fiery passionate dude who who gets frustrated at himself and you know i imagine that's a a battle of some sorts but also a really interesting balance and maybe a necessary one for you Mm. yeah i i have demons you know i definitely i'm a like a perfectionist Mm mm-hmm highly principled i'm an idealist um i'm ruthless with myself but also like i i'm pretty judgmental like outwardly even though i don't i try not to direct that outwardly right i mean you know i i have opinions you know and those opinions eat me up and Mm -hmm. they cause static with other people and um you know it's just a double-edged sword I think. And a lot of like this self work that I do, I mean, has to do with that. I mean, I have a wicked temper. I sh- sure you could probably, I probably have anger, quote, anger problems. Um, I'm, I'm just, uh, hi- highly charged at times, you know, emotionally unstable, uh, when I get charged up like that and um, 
yeah, it's not the most awesome thing. It's not the most awesome thing for people around me to deal with. But for sure, being like that or being like that within myself has led me to do a lot of things that I wanted to do. And yeah, it looks like you've used it to your advantage in a lot of ways. So I don't know, you know, um, I don't know what the right way is that, or the, I'm just trying to find the right way for me. And a part of my nature definitely is, has that. Um, I think I'm, t I've tempered it through time and with my, with aging, getting older. Um, and, uh, are there specific times you, you feel like that, that fiery temper, um, perfectionist being ruthless with yourself do you feel are there times where you feel like that's a really positive asset to have um, be it within climbing or just life in general um and i and i ask this because i see a lot of climbers really hard on themselves mm -hmm. who also are really passionate really fiery and I think learning to harness that and understanding when it's a positive and when to use it is a really important part of the growth of, you know, becoming both a better athlete and a better person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually like that part of myself mm -hmm. and I've grown to like it more through the years as I've gotten to understand it better and use it better more yeah. wisely yeah uh, i don't know if i have control over it some of the times especially highly charged situations or, sure. or when there's like heavy pressure or expectation sure um but i i i'm glad that i have the capacity to feel things on that level mm, yeah i i like to I'm, I'm i like to feel things you know like i think a big part of life is having these emotional spiritual experiences mm -hmm. i mean to be honest like my first year of climbing in the red like i, I was like having this these sort of powerful experiences like on the daily right just discovering this lifestyle and this community and the red and the rock there and like i mean it was really uh shaping you know um so f for sure connected to these really deep feelings is is that part of it totally and, yeah um I mean, I guess I'd I'd rather it this way than um, be kind of maybe a more calm or even keeled person and not feeling as deeply of things as I do at times. Yeah, I think that's really important. Like, instead of just saying that it's important to you to feel it, I think knowing that one of the reasons you were able to connect to those powerful experiences you were having 
is because you have the ability to feel that deeply. Mm-hmm. You know, that's I hadn't I hadn't thought about that aspect of it at all. Um, just like you, I came into climbing later in life, and and I very much had a similar experience early on, um, and then dropped out of climbing for a few years. And when I came back, I was a much more even person. Um, I had dealt with a lot of my anger, angst, whatever it was through music in those years that I was, Mm -hmm. was not climbing. Um, and I didn't have those, those huge moments. I didn't have those deep experiences for quite a while when I came back to climbing and I blamed it on sport climbing, frankly. You know, I started as a trad climber, came back as a sport climber. And my go-to thought was just, oh, sport climbing just isn't as deep, mm-hmm. you know. But eventually when I did allow myself to have those feelings again, I realized that that's not true at all. And it was just myself because I had evened out so much and had purposely become so even. Um, and that's, you know, that's something I admire about you is this ability to at least seemingly balance that, that ruthless on yourself, but also this very introspective and thoughtful and you measure your words carefully um, when you're on the flip side of that. Yeah, uh, yeah, so. it's... It's just been, yeah, up the process and like learning the hard way, um, learning the hard way when not to, you know, applying it isn't the right place or time or, or person. Um, and that includes being with myself, you know? Yeah. And, um, what do you, just a totally kind of out of left field question here, but hearing all the things you're talking about, um, finding yourself, being able to go back to rifle to rejuvenate. Uh, before we started recording, you mentioned that you're going to stop in Detroit before you uh, take off on this other climbing trip. And Detroit is where you're from originally, right? Mm-hmm. What does the word home mean to you now? Uh, it, it's, it's, has a few meanings, I guess. Um, and what do you consider home? None of them are very stable. <laughs> uh, I mean, home is certainly where my family, where my parents are. Okay. Um, Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now, I mean, my home base, home is Salt Lake City, Utah, like where my all my most of my stuff is. Um, and. I guess home is my truck and my camper. Uh, I really like that's maybe that's my favorite place. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's interesting about that is having traveled so much and having, um, I I didn't never travel. I never traveled until climbing. Um, Same here. And now my my sort of view of the world 
uh, is so much bigger because I've gone traveling and my home has felt so much bigger, you know, mm. especially because when you travel as a climber, like it's pretty simple, you know, like you just need the things you need to go climbing and you need the things you need to like eat and sleep. Right. So, yeah. Um, I've grown accustomed to feeling pretty comfortable and pretty at home wherever I am because I'm always, I've always been traveling um, someplace different, someplace new and uh, traveling simply like that. It's, it's really like, you know, I'm always comfortable. You know, I always have the few things I, I need just mm-hmm. to, and it's generally about climbing or going traveling for climbing. I generally have the things I need to climb and the things that I need to live, eat, eat and sleep, you know? Yeah. Outside of those things, the, the material things, the, you know, your climbing kit and your, and the food that you need, what things do you feel like you've brought with you from that original Detroit home that's helped you get to where you are now? Do you think a lot of this fire and passion? That's from my dad. Yeah. Yeah. It's like directly transmitted from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I kind of, yeah. So a lot of that, almost all of that's my dad. Now, as I'm getting older, I feel like a lot more of my mom. Hmm. She's what is just eternally accepting, patient, uh, calm. And, uh, that, that's been, that's really interesting. My dad is, is very much the, the same way that I am. Um, uh, really intense, uh, always, uh, you, this presence, especially if he's in the room, if he's not in the room, he's just, um, he's just really intense. And he, he always, um, he's always just worked so hard. He seems to have that perfectionist nature, massive ambition, um, Massive ambition. As an immigrant, he came to the States, 18 years old. Yeah. The story is like with $100. And my dad's a dentist. He's a doctor. And my dad's also a lawyer. And that was like 100% on him. Yeah. He put himself, he worked through all that, put himself through all that. He didn't need to go to law school. He just wanted to. He's a, Mm. he's a, a student, eternal student. He's always learning. And, um, Damn, I mean, what without crazy ambition could you do all that, you know? And so um, a lot a lot of really powerful parts of me are from him for sure. And and now a lot of really powerful parts of me that I'm that I'm learning and starting to balance with with and sort of bounce against are from are from my mom. Yeah. But I needed to sort of like age a little bit to just calm down a little bit to start start to feel those i think yeah man that's really really cool i like i like hearing that story and understanding where you're coming from you know because i can 
just knowing the Detroit feel, I guess, you know, I was, I'm from Cincinnati. I spent a fair amount of time there in the like hip hop scene back in the day and having gone back to Detroit in recent years uh, and seeing the difference and, and just understanding that there's a, a really hardworking, passionate ethic there um, in its history and in the scenes that I was involved in. Um, knowing that you're from Detroit makes perfect sense to me. Um, but hearing that it's even deeper than that and more personal than that, I think is, is really cool and explains a lot about who you are and watching this, this trajectory that you've been on, you know, even though I only see it in little, little bits and captions yeah. and photos on the internet. I won't lie, man. I don't, I, I like, I love working hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I love getting dirty. Like manual labor, I'm completely cool with. Yeah. You know, a lot, I had plenty of those jobs. And I never chose, I did, it's just weird because I never chose that. I right. just, that just came from somewhere, yep. either from growing up there or from, you know, my family. But man, I, I, I love making things with my hands, you know? Mm -hmm. And if that means work, backbreaking, hard work um I, f I feel like i'd i always chose that over like the intellectual i wasn't ever really into school i always just wanted to do things with my body and i think that's why i, I sort of went to sports and tried all these different sports right um but yeah that's just ask you now i'm just sitting here like it's quite interesting i don't know where that came from because i never actively chose that i just always was drawn to that mm -hmm. um, and yeah. i love that way of life when i think that's something that made you endearing to a lot of climbers early on was that you have this sort of blue collar you're like a, a blue collar climber i mean that's the way i would describe it and now it's you know watching you come into this more spiritual more emotional side is almost like you've become this like blue collar intellectual which i think is really interesting well yeah it's it's funny like now i read like voraciously but right i, I mean i didn't read probably five percent of the books i was supposed to read in in high school and college right. you know right all the books that i was supposed to read then i'm like reading now <laughs> uh you know and it's so it's like uh i had to find myself find that part of myself and and find how to connect my body to the, my mind and my emotions and my spirit you know what's funny chris is like just the other day um i i had to write this post it's actually it's the most recent post on my instagram right now okay and it was for the north phase and um i don't know i don't normally do this I don't like go read the comments. I, I don't, I, I like to output on social media. I don't try to like input because, man, I, I'd rather spend the time reading the books, the, the hundreds yeah. of thousands of books yeah. I want to read, right? It's a scary. But I just happened to, to notice this, this uh, comment. And it had something to do, I can't remember if it was like, I don't know if the comment said, oh, whatever, this is just a white. A privileged white dude, like if you want to get better at 
climbing like train harder or something. Right. And I just was kind of blown away by that privileged. I, I don't know if it said privileged white dude or what, but it definitely said privileged dude. And I was like, gee, man, I've worked really hard yeah. at this thing. And this person just, let's just say there's, cause there's plenty of people out there making comments like this. Yeah. Or just making assumptions, like regardless of social media, let's put that aside for a second. Mm-hmm. But like the assumptions that that people are making these days, or it's just so unfair. And I just saw that and I just thought, oh man, how unfortunate. Like the, I was just trying to like share a little bit of my history, my process, my thought. And, you know, you without taking the time like this whole podcast like if you don't take the time to listen to the whole thing like and you just hear like a few words out of it right you don't get to think that you know who i am or think that you know who chris hampton is it's you just it's just really interesting because it takes time you know and a devotion and a dedication and a sacrifice yep uh I'm trying to do that with myself, but anything I'm trying to be involved in, I also would like to show as much respect to. And um, I just, the, it's just an interesting thought, I guess, is that you you don't get to arrive at some point of understanding or some point of accomplishment uh without a little bit of sacrifice Mm -hmm. maybe that's sweat blood and tears maybe that's just introspection and time and Um, actually listening and yeah and just the time of listening so uh, that's something in the last couple of years as um as i continue to work with myself but as i continue to be a part of this industry and of um the climbing community continue to be uh in partnership with my sponsors um it's a very relevant point that i i think a lot of people are kind of like glossing over it's a tough place to be because a lot of people are kind of growing up with this social media as the norm you know and you and I both grew up in a time where it wasn't the norm. And I think a lot of people just believe that they understand. They don't, they don't even realize that they're making an assumption. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they see a post, a caption, they read into it however they want to based on their own biases. And, and then they form their opinion based on that, six second interaction with you you know and and that's a fucking scary place to be frankly yeah i agree i agree and because it's like going back to what you said like i mean it's a huge honor for me to have you say what you did that people that you think that people have gained this sense of who i am where i've come from Mm -hmm. how i've come up what i believe in the work i've done right um because I, I, I do. If I'm going to put something out there, I want it to be consistent with the, the stuff that's come before it and relevant to what I'm doing now. Um, all connected and sort of cohesive. Um, and also just like, 
engaging, respectful. But he, I think I that's guess part even if of you the. Do, it's, it can always be misinterpreted. It can. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, as somebody who put out music, who's put my art out into the world, who I put out thousands of words every month right. between the blog and the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I've just come to this understanding over the years that no matter who you are, you could put together, you could string together the the best collection of words ever put together that make the most sense that are the most truthful and someone's going to spin it and take it another way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have to accept that, you know, and, and hope. And in your case, I think you've done the job well in, in that I think you've told your story in a really respectful way. And I think the people who, are really paying attention, get it. Mm. Um, and I think you have to just remember that there are more people out there who are being inspired, motivated by what you're doing as opposed to the people who just think, oh, this is just a case of privilege or whatever. Yeah, you or to like this, the knee-jerk kind of reaction. and Right. Um, yeah, it's... It's tough, man. Yeah, well, it's tough. It just takes... Uh, we only have so much time, you know, and mm-hmm. energy and effort. And um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I have so many books I wish I have read already or want to read or, or so many people I want to see, so many places I want to go, routes I want to do. Uh, yeah. I guess you arrive at this point where you know... You're just never going to do everything you want to do. Or you can never be in more than one place at once. And Making the ar- most out of the yeah, moment. Yeah, arriving at is. a comfortable space about that, accepting it, and kind of just um, uh, being diligent with the, the energy and the time that you have mm-hmm. in, in this moment. And you just kind of um, do the best you can. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that sums it up really well. It's probably a good place to wrap it up. I think that's what the the blue collar ethic is really about. Like, do the best you can. Mm. I, I think love that's it. really yeah. what it is. So, hey man, thanks a lot. This was a fun conversation. Yeah, dude, thank you. Thanks for coming over and My sitting pleasure. down. Yeah, cool. It can be a bit of a a mind fuck when you first start to question two seemingly opposite sides of yourself and try to find where and how and why they overlap. And Sam is a fantastic example of how powerful it can be to gain that greater understanding of the process, of yourself, of your motivations and needs, um, your building blocks, so to speak. And it's been fun to watch Sam's climbing mature along with his introspection and he wears it all on his sleeve he's not hiding it Um, that's not a coincidence and I suspect that we're nowhere near the finish line of where these things can take Sam as he figures them out more and more if you follow the links in your show notes you can see some of Sam's recent projects um, including a short film about episode 73 guest and absolute legend Russ Klune Um, You'll also find a photo 
of the shadow boxing checklist that we talk about in this episode. Uh, I went into Sam's camper and took the photo of it still hanging there. And it's a really valuable process-based tool that, that you can use in your own climbing, whatever the project is, uh, or just in your general life, whatever the project is. And thanks a lot, Sam, for sitting down and having this conversation. Uh, I look forward to seeing you this summer, and hopefully we can do it again. I'm, I've got a lot more to learn from you, as I think we all do, and looking forward to it. And you can find out more about Sam at bookofsamuel.com or at bookofsamuel on Instagram. Uh, You can find us at powercompanyclimbing.com on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Pinterests at powercompanyclimbing. And even though Twitter doubled their character count to 280 some time ago, you still won't find us there because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. That was great, dude. Yeah, I appreciate that. That went in all different kinds of cool directions. Yeah.